the need for balance between being extremely optimistic and extremely paranoid <laughs> about things. And so uh, without optimism, you just won't take any action. So, you know, when you go to like networking events and people are judging you within two to five seconds based mm. on your role and how much value you can get out of them, I have a very different approach when I go to networking events, which is like, I'm not trying to meet 30 people. I just want to meet one or two people that I can have a talk with for 20 mm. minutes. I think intent when it comes to these sort of things really, really matters. And so if you don't enjoy the process, you just won't be around long enough to see the upside yeah. of these things. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the Y2 Podcast, where I interview interesting and noteworthy people to learn about their journeys and specifically look to understand their beliefs, values, mindsets, and the resources they use to get started and succeed on their journey. I'm your host, Dustin Elliott, and today's guest is Rohit Bhagava. Now, Rohit requires little introduction as he currently runs one of the hottest podcasts, the Startup Playbook Podcast, which has reached number three on iTunes. He's interviewed some very well-known people across technology, entrepreneurship, and venture capital. Rohit is also very well-known for running Stage Label, which, being established in 2013, was a crowdfunding platform which provided market validation and funding to various fashion designers. Over the next two years, Stage Label have launched over 150 fashion brands globally and won numerous prizes and awards, including being named one of the top 10 startups to watch in 2014 by Startup Daily and finishing runner-up in the Startup Weekend event Melbourne in 2013. As you'll hear in the podcast, Rohit's been a real inspiration to me. At the young age of 29, he's already been on such an incredible journey and already achieved so much in his career. Within a few years, he went from no formal business education to starting one of the hottest startups, which ultimately ended after a rollercoaster experience to what he pivoted into now. As we dive through the highs and lows of his career, you'll hear Rohit's journey of self-discovery and a distillation of the qualities that makes him so extraordinary today. The themes of being true to yourself, how to deliver value, and he also provides some great suggestions about starting your own venture as well are all things discussed. And with that being said, let's get today's chat. Rohit, welcome to the YT Podcast. Thank you so much for, uh, for uh, having me in today. Not a problem at all. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Oh, man, I'm really looking forward to today's chat. I still remember uh, the first time I heard you speak was at the, uh, the Fuck Up Night. Um, I think that was... Would have been late, late last year. I think late last it was. year, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that was the first time. Yeah, absolutely, the first time. And, and one thing, obviously, a lot of my listeners, you know, they heard me talk a lot about the fuck up nights. Big advocate of what they're doing, but the the, the the bravery of it takes of somebody to stand up and tell a story, and the good and the bad. And I know from I was I wasn't quite at the point of the podcast yet, but you were definitely your story resonated front with me very much at the beginning to think. This is what we need more of, and uh, obviously, really excited you got to you got to get out there, and I got to listen to you speak. And also, want to just quickly plug as well to you. Thank you for your podcast as well. We'll uh, we'll have a link on the Facebook page, but um, obviously, I love what you're doing in the podcast. And obviously, I know again, just want to publicly thank you as well too, because we spoke, and you were a big uh, big help in me getting the podcast started from the nuts and bolts, and from just a lot of those things. So, thank you so much. No, not not a problem at all. Like, I mean, it's one thing to have that discussion; it's another thing to kind of do what you've done, which is actually launch. So, <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! It's it's a huge step, and um, yeah, love love what you got, what you've been doing yeah. the last few weeks. And here we are. I feel this is and a, here we this are. Is a fitting thing. So another thing I love about your podcast is obviously you get to sit down with uh, the who's 
two of tech and VC, the, the movers and shakers from not only just Melbourne and, and Australia, but all over the world. But as we spoke about, you didn't always start that way. And in fact, your, uh, your earliest times being a mover and shaker was actually to do with uh, pizza. Love you could tell us a little <laughs> bit more about that. Yeah, so um, I, I just kind of, uh, we, we were just talking before we kind of turned this on, but um, I never really thought that I was entrepreneurial because my first ambition was to be a professional cricketer, being, being, having an Indian background <laughs> and all. But um, yeah, just kind of uh, l- reflecting and actually one of my friends sort of from high school reminding me of it, um, my first kind of foray in- into the space was um, setting up I don't even know how to describe it. Setting up, uh, so the 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 whole kind of deal was that um, you know obviously lunch times are, are um, really difficult for for students to kind of get things. Like I remember tuck shop in in high school, like just the lines were massive, um, and you know if you had burgers or, or anything over there, it's, it's you had to wait and fingers yeah. crossed, you know you, you'd get something before they ran out. But um, what I kind of managed to do was like you know I love pizza. Uh, so I, I worked out a deal with Domino's um, while I was in high school of, you know, give me a special rate and, and, you know, I'll arrange orders from my school and get you guys to deliver it and, you know, we'll kind of have consistent sort of orders coming in. Um, and so what ended up happening was that um, that obviously kind of grew uh, pretty quickly. Um, we then kind of got to a stage where other people started making money off the pizzas as well, <laughs> which is its own kind of like referral scheme. So people would like order a pizza for five bucks or something, they would eat half of it and then they would sell a slice for, a slice each for about a dollar, a dollar, a dollar fifty each. So they, would, they actually ended up making more money um, from selling the pizzas yeah. than, they were, than they were doing it. But no one else thought about um, getting, getting deals. So every time they called up, they were just, you know, having to pay sort of full price on it. So <laughs> everyone in the school ended up coming to me to, to kind of do that. And so I kind of became that in-between conduit between uh, people and, and their lunch, pizza lunches. So, yeah, but um, yeah, as, as we were saying, like it wasn't, um, you know, at that time I didn't know what a startup was. I didn't know what a business was. Um, I wasn't trying to make a lot of money. It was literally, I just wanted enough cash so I didn't have to ask my parents for 20 bucks to, to buy a ticket for, for Hoyts and things like that. So um, yeah, it was just kind of like filling a need and, and trying to doing the, the really sort of basic thing, solving a problem. So you didn't have a spreadsheet where you're trying to calculate your margin and where you're breaking Definitely, definitely didn't have a spreadsheet. <laughs> definitely didn't have a spreadsheet. It was more. It was more about. Um, it was more about kind of like relationships with people too. So um, that was actually like the first big thing where it's you know if you can if you can build a relationship and provide value to people on the other side, you can get so much more upside mm. coming through. Um, and so that was you know there was nothing stopping anyone else from doing that, but people weren't willing or didn't kind of consider doing those sort of things either. So, mm. um, yeah, that, I guess that was my little competitive advantage <laughs> back and, in high school. Yeah, and, and the start <clears throat> to obviously developing a, a set of skills, which which we'll talk a little bit about further on today. So thanks for sharing that. Now, um, you know, one of the things I always like to do when I'm about to sit down with the guests, and obviously I knew I knew about yourself from Melbourne's Fuck Up Night and started listening to the podcast and obviously just, just following your story. But one of the things I always like to do is to go onto someone's LinkedIn and to start to look through. And I think any time that there just seems to be this odd transition, um, 
it's it's there's usually a good question that needs to be asked and yours was the same knowing what you've done through your last little video journey but not having gone all the way back and i started looking at your uh, your degrees and obviously as we'll talk about you you ran a startup and obviously you're now heavily involved in the tech community but if we look way back you didn't have your degree doesn't really indicative of that. So what is your degree in again? Uh, so I did a double degree in engineering and economics mm -hmm. at ANU. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting uh, five, six years. Because I did honours as well for engineering. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing directly from what I kind of learned at uni I'm sort of applying now. Yeah. So why did you go into that then? What was sort of the catalyst for, for doing that? <clears throat> Uh, for doing that that degree, yeah. uh, so uh, again, Indian parents, um, you know, engineering. You either become an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, um, and I didn't want to do law or medicine. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I, to be honest, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do at uni either. Um, I had to go again, Indian parents. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of most of what I wanted to do was. Um, you know, play cricket professionally. Mm -hmm. And so that just gave me an opportunity to kind of play. Um, I got the marks that I kind of needed to get into the, into the course. Um, and I didn't, to be honest, I didn't even know what economics or like literally what engineer, like engineers mm -hmm. do. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting kind of six years mm -hmm. at uni. That and I think, as you talked about, obviously, <coughs> cricket was your, your real love and passion. And, and that was sort of where you were kind of shooting for at the time, weren't you? Yeah. So, um, like I was fortunate enough to get into... Uh, get into an academy in India um, where, uh, like, some of the head coaches there are, are coaches now in the Indian Premier League. Um, really, really amazing experience. Um, got to just, uh, you know, it was, it was a three-month sort of camp. We were training about 10 hours a day. Hmm. We had probably two days off the entire three months. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was a completely life-changing experience of, you know, if you actually, like, that was the first time that I had fully committed myself to something for that kind of length of time and mm. just going above and beyond what uh, what I would normally do and um, just having the right people and the right coaches and, and all of that just completely changed my sort of um, my skill set and my sort of the, the way that I played the game and so um, I actually ended up getting offered a trial with the county team in England mm -hmm. um, but I got a knee injury on, on the last oh, no. last few days of, of the program um, which is actually kind of picked up with a, with a soccer game um, that I was playing, but um, amazing, amazing experience. Um, and so even though like the, the knee injury, like it took me a couple of years to recover from mm. that fully, um, it gave me an opportunity then to get into coaching. So I just loved the game so much and loved sport and being involved that even though I couldn't really play, I still wanted to find a way to, to stay engaged. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up getting accreditations and um, coaching my university cricket and soccer teams and um, that was essentially how I spent my weekends. But, like, most of my friends were, you know, saying, what are you, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't you be spending your time studying and trying to get, <laughs> trying to get you know, good grades good and, grades, yeah. um, you know, so you can get, get a great job and stuff like that when you leave? But um, that wasn't, you know, like, university was, was really useful for me. Mm -hmm. um, I never kind of saw it as a... I need to do this to get a good job. It was always, um, it was always just an experience to me. And so, like, I I think it was even though I'm not directly applying anything that I did from university into my life at the moment, it get, I really feel like I needed to go through those six years um, more so to just find out about myself. Mm -hmm. And so the one the one thing that I like 
the one takeaway that I got from uni was doing the Young Achievers Australia program, mm. which was my first kind of um, look into kind of starting a business. And um, that, again, like once I, once I did that, it was like I caught a bug. Mm. Uh, Can you talk this. more a bit about that? Like what is, <clears throat> just for people listening, and actually, frankly, even for myself as well too, I've heard yeah. about Young Achievers, but can you give us a bit more of an idea of what that is? Yeah, so um, Young Achievers Australia, they, they do, so it actually shut down, we were the last year. That they, that they did that, and they've recently started up by um, Vicky Lay, who is the managing partner at, um, managing, one of the managing directors at Artesian Venture Partners. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, I think, the director of the program, but essentially it's a, it's a program for high school and university students where you have 12 weeks to start a business. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, essentially you do everything from, from the ground up, so you've got a team, we had a team of like 15 people um, and I got selected to kind of lead the team. So it was a cohort of 15 of the high 15. school and university students, and you're all so, building a business yeah, together? Yes, so it was system. like, again, like it wasn't something that I voluntarily did because <laughs> I, I, like I had no intention of starting a business, but mm-hmm. it was something that we had to do as part of our degree, and I'm so grateful that we did, but it was uh, 15 students from our, from our engineering class. Mm-hmm. It's in the thing. We, we decided to start a T-shirt company, um, we very quickly realised that we were going to struggle because uh, two of the other teams in the competition, they, uh, I think they had like found connections or they had, you know, special suppliers or something that they were getting better T-shirts, but high quality T-shirts were selling at a cheaper price, were just a lot more professional than... So like, this wasn't even just putting selling. a business together on paper, this is actually this sourcing... Is legitimately and... sourcing, supplying, like you're, you're trying to sell stuff. So like... Um, so yeah, we, we kind of got to a stage where um, halfway through, we were like, okay, we're, we're not making any money. Literally all of the sales are coming from us. How many people to, <laughs> buy to buy, buy our terribly designed t-shirts? I think, I think I, I'm pretty sure I threw them out as soon as I could. But, um, but like being really competitive by nature, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to find a way that we could win. And so... Uh, what we actually ended up doing was, um, you know, looking at, okay, there's no way that we can win by selling sort of one-to-one mm. um, because, you know, our T-shirts are terrible <laughs> compared to what everyone else is selling. But um, what we can do is, like, I, so I was staying on, on, on a campus residence mm-hmm. at that time and I had a couple of um, I'd really close ties with friends who, who, were, um, who were at other residences and I knew that every year people ordered um, sports jerseys mm-hmm. or... Um, different kind of uniforms or like rugby jumpers and so and usually it's just left up to one person who's like looking after it for the year and they kind of have to <laughs> yeah. you know have to work it out from scratch and so um so what, what I kind of um started the strategy was like let's dump what we're doing and trying to sell this one-to-one because that's just not going to work mm-hmm. let's just focus purely on like can we get in like bulk orders from these colleges mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up doing that and we ended up, um, I think winning the competition or like coming second or something. So we, yeah, we generated a lot of revenue over the last six weeks. So I think all (laughs) of the sales kind of came in and we sort of managed to deliver on that. So, Mm. and again, like a a large part of that for me was like, I didn't know what starting a business meant, but that was really exciting to me in a sense of like, oh, you can actually, um, have a really big impact with, you know doing different things and you can be creative and you can have like there was just so much that excited me that mm. like I just kind of yeah I couldn't what once I'd gotten I, I couldn't let go and I think you said too that you were sort of voting or you took on a leadership role in that yeah can, what was 
what aspect of that made you made you a leader or made those leadership qualities stand out? Is that just coming back from the cricket experience that you just felt more empowered to sort of take charge and start guiding and leading? Yeah, um, I think it's it's something that I've always kind of wanted to do since I was young as well is, um, is you know, try and be in a leadership sort of position. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously when you're sort of coaching a team, you're the one who's kind of responsible for things. So that mm -hmm. was that you know, again, was something, I find that I'm very extreme with things. So either I'm, either I'm all in or I'm not. Mm -hmm. And a way to get me all in is to be in an area where things are dependent on me to mm -hmm. make it work. Uh, and so, um, so I spend a lot of time in like coming up with different ideas and really kind of being the driver of, of the idea stage and, and the very sort of early stage. So, um, you know, it gave a reason for people to go, okay, this, this person's taking it a lot more seriously than, than the rest of us are. Mm. We really don't care. But he clearly seems to, so let's just let him run with it. Is, do, you, do you feel it was cultivated as something? Is that coming out of sport or the way you were raised? It's sort of all or nothing and that's sort of like really driven when it is all in? Um, it's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I, think it's just, I think it's just a part of my personality um, is that, you know, I think to to do anything properly you need to be you need to be extremely passionate about it mm. and so uh you know when it comes to starting a podcast like you can't half start a podcast <laughs> yeah. right yeah. uh you kind of and there's just so many obstacles that you sort of need to overcome that like either either you do it or you don't mm. and so um but i have that with with everything so um you know with universe like i remember in high school there was uh, you know, I took like my grades really, really seriously, mm -hmm. and there was a point where I just kind of stopped and said, "Is this actually the most important thing in the world, or not?" And then from then on, it was like, "Okay, what's the minimum that I need to do to get to the next next stage?" Mm -hmm. um, and what are kind of different things that I can spend my time on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. So, um, so you do the Young Achievers. You're starting to get a bit of a flair for um, business and corporate, but. What did you do after that? Because you didn't start a business. You, you didn't. You didn't necessarily take that bug right away. No, I, I tried. Job, I actually you? started something at, at uni mm -hmm. as well, which was. Um, so this was before, like I think Facebook was just starting to get into like you, you know on campus residences mm -hmm. and stuff here, um, but it wasn't anything that people were like using as a marketing tool. So uh, what what I kind of found was um, I knew that I wanted to start something. Mm -hmm. What I knew was that, um, you know, in, at ANU, which is where I went to uni in Canberra, um, there were a lot of international and domestic students. The, geographically, um, it's very close to, like, the campus residence is really clo close to the city. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there are particular spots that people go to, but there's a lot of great cafes and small shops and bars and stuff that, like, people just maybe not aware of. And so for me, it was like, okay, how can we then market this to, mm. to university students? And so I had a really, really basic idea of like setting, you know, creating calendars or doing events and like that sort of stuff for them. Looking back, I can't believe that they paid me any money to, <laughs> to do that because it was like, like uh, it was horrendous. But what um, was it horrendous? What? It was horrendous in the sense like I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. So like the pricing, like there was no. There was no pricing strategy. There was no, um, there was no kind of like real, um, like just just the quality of work that I was mm. doing as well was was really poor. Mm. Um, poor in the sense of like you know compared to what I would hopefully do now. Uh, but back then, like they they just weren't doing anything, mm. and so for them having any sort of leg up of of them to find sort of 
new customers was was great. So um, again, like it was it was a lot of like learning lessons. So I didn't know how to sell into these companies. So I was like literally picking up the phone or emailing them and saying, "Hey, I'm doing this thing." And then you just kind of learn really quickly on the job, right? You kind of learn that you don't start selling straight away. Mm-hmm. You want to build a relationship with people. Um, and again, like all of those, like it was nothing that I would have thought of um, before I'd started that. I would have gone, okay, cool. I've got a, a product or a service that I kind of want to sell to people. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to call them up and sell them. But then, um, but then you realize that there's a process that goes into these things and like what's the right sort of, the right sort of way of, of approaching that. Mm. And again, to me, like, that's not... Um, I don't think that's something that you can teach through a textbook. Mm. I think that's really something that you have to go out and do and then find your own style of doing that. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Didn't last very long <laughs> uh, because I was also graduating and, um, you know, I was moving to Sydney mm. and things like that too. But, um, yeah, it was really, like, I, I feel like I learned so much from just those like six to nine months of doing that. Mm. So was it? So just to just to dive into that a bit more. So you you obviously saw the problem in terms of what you just said, and did you just think I know how to solve this and just just do some promotional marketing, I guess, for these and start started calling the cafes and the bars, trying to pitch that to them right away, kind of thing. Yeah. So um, I assumed that I knew everything, so I, <laughs> I went in with like oh, I'm going to do this and whatever, and they're like, okay, that's great, but we'd actually want you to do something else. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can do that. I can do that, yeah. Um, and so that, again, to me, was, was like another aspect of like letting, letting people tell you what they actually want you to do versus mm-hmm. you going in there with a set solution that you think everyone wants. Um, and so, like, again, that was just like a huge lesson that, that sort of came out of that was um, just really listening to people. Mm-hmm. And um, for the most part, people will tell you what solution they want, right? Yeah. You just have to be willing to, to shut up and listen <laughs> And, well, I have to admit, I, I love that too, because I know we're going to get back to that a little bit later on our chat too, but I know there's, I know even for myself as well, there's a massive misconception that you have to have this beautifully polished product and it has to all be there and then you go up, but you, as you learn, you just, just ask the questions and, and, and listen and they'll tell you what you want and there yeah. you go. Yeah, and, and enough people are saying the same thing, then, then you know that you're on the right path yeah. um, with those sort of things. So no, there was, there was a plan. Um, that plan went out the window pretty, pretty quickly, but um, but I'm really glad that I kind of was willing to to throw away those sort of things as well. So like one of the biggest gripes that I have with a lot of people is uh, people writing business plans um, because it, it's the same thing that happens, right? Like it's you know as as a startup or as a small business, your advantage is speed, and so you know you, people spend hours, days, weeks perfecting a business plan, and they mm. go and talk to their first customer, and they're like. Same thing, you know, great idea, but that's not really what we want. Mm-hmm. We want you to do this instead. So you just kind of throw that out. Whereas, like, if you just went and talked to that person uh, a few weeks earlier, <laughs> you would know all of that and, and, you know, you could move on that opportunity a lot quicker mm. um, than having to write something and then rewrite it and, and those sort of things. So, um, you know, obviously planning is, is important, um, but instead of writing a business plan, look at things like the business model canvas or the lean canvas, which is essentially a one-page document. Like mm. the, the value of a business plan is getting you to think about things that you may not consider. Mm. There's quicker ways of doing that, yeah. quicker and more efficient ways. Do you feel you were a bit less unencumbered from chasing these ventures because you didn't come from a business background and you didn't necessarily view yourself as an entrepreneur? So you were looking at it essentially as really fresh. You weren't trying to push it through a lens of 
business, I'm doing air quotes here, business, whatever yeah. that looks like in these you know, case studies and all that sort of thing? Uh, 100%. Like, I think everything, especially when you're starting out for the first time, like, you just need to be extremely naive <laughs> um, and extremely optimistic yeah. about, like, what it is that you can achieve. Uh, because if you, if you aren't, there's, there's a million and one reasons to, like, not do anything, mm. right? And so... Um, you know, I was, I've been very fortunate to be extremely naive through the majority of my career to date. Um, and that's just meant that I've, I've at least kind of jumped into opportunities and, and given myself time and room to, to learn versus trying to perfect something and, and not really taking any action at all. Mm, interesting. So what happened after <coughs> that? So you said, obviously, you graduated. What was that next step after, obviously, these couple of ventures, mm-hmm. you've got your degree? Where do you go from there? Yeah, so uh, so then I ended up graduating and moving to Sydney um, and taking on a um, taking on a role at an engineering company. Mm-hmm. Um, I I never enjoyed like the technical aspects of engineering. I really enjoyed the problem solving part. Um, so and again, we were kind of talking about this before we turned this on. Um, you know, I it was between kind of two different jobs that I could take. So one was a full time position with uh, with a decent pay packet, <clears throat> but it was a essentially kind of like a sales role. So I'd be on the phone most of the time um, hoping that other people pick up <laughs> and make a sale. Smile and die. <clears throat> um, and the other one was uh, was initially a three-month contract with the potential for that to, to increase. But I'd be ver- I would be working directly with the vice president and we'd be doing sort of international projects and mm. things like that within an engineering company. So um, again, the, the decision was like, was difficult, but also relatively straightforward for me because I saw a lot more upside in in working on a three month contract and then hopefully being good enough and mm-hmm. hoping that things would work out <clears throat> for me to kind of stick around if if I liked it. Um, so I ended up taking on that role, ended up staying there for two years um, before I kind of left and, and jumped off and started stage label full time. Mm. So I suppose for yourself, I think like we spoke about <coughs> earlier too, you know, you you have a bit of a different lens that you put you put decisions through as well too, that when you were looking at the roles, obviously you chose the three month contract one because of the opportunities. But do you, when you were sitting down to ponder those, was it really black and white to you about that three month contract and the role, even though less money and obviously less stability was just better? Or what was your decision criteria when you were looking at those? Um, So, I mean, obviously with it being my first job, um, I, I needed to get, uh, advice and guidance from other people and, and for that um, for me that was my parents um, and you, you know my, my parents were essentially like you know it's, it's your call but um, you know again like for, for the most part they're both very different mm-hmm. to each other uh, and they're also both very different to me but um, they're also very optimistic people and so um, so you know they were just like you know from our perspective, we think that the three-month contract is, is a better opportunity longer term mm-hmm. for you, but it's your call because it's your career. So mm-hmm. do, do what you want. And, but like I, I was already leaning towards the three-month contract anyways because um, I, I just figured, like, I, I've been very fortunate that every time I've kind of taken risk, things have worked out for mm-hmm. the best. They might not work out in the way that I expected, but, yeah. but things kind of work out in the end. So yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of viewed that as a, you know, a, uh, the worst case worst case scenario, I work for three months, and they don't have a role, and I've at least got something interesting that I can kind of find another role mm. with. But the upside of that was to me a lot higher mm. in terms of learning. So, and from a money aspect, like um, 
again, like it, it's never been a huge consideration for me. And again, we were kind of talking about this. If anything, I've gone against things that have that have offered me <laughs> a, a bigger upside on on the money side in the short term. But um, that that wasn't a huge consideration for me. It was always more about like longer term. Where does this place me with things? Again, not not really knowing what that longer term looked like or what that future looked like, but just knowing that um, it was probably the right step. Mm. I want to ask as well too that. Um, I think you said something earlier I want to come back to as well too that you with the business you just have to have a level of optimism as well and I think that's really important that's something I know I've been sitting on a lot that if you if you don't have optimism in some level um, a lens which you can pass things through in an optimistic manner then you're more often than not going to do anything and it, it really if you don't have the optimism then everything else you build on top of this sort of falls apart I want to ask that optimism you talk about your parents are optimistic as well too is that is that just something that's just been ingrained in you the whole like through as you were growing up and <clears> that you just have that lens of more optimistic attitude towards things um a little bit like I mean uh you know we we migrated to Australia when I was six years old and um you know, we, for all intents and purposes, like, we didn't have, um, you know, we weren't extremely well off, but, like, you know, we were, like, middle class in Mm -hmm. in India, but my parents took the decision of, you know, we want a better life for ourselves and for our kids, Mm -hmm. and so we're going to take a risk of, like, moving to a place where no one, like, we don't know anyone um, in in the hopes that kind of things things work out. Um, And so, like, we came here, um, my dad didn't have a job for the first six months, or so, and uh, you know it was it was extremely extremely tough. But mm. again, kind of looking at how things have worked out, you know, our life is so much better because of kind of taking that risk. And and you know, so I think that um, subconsciously has been ingrained in me. Mm. Of you know, um, just if you do the right thing and, and make the right decisions, like just trust that things will work out. Um, but you shouldn't make a decision from a from a standpoint of fear mm-hmm. of like what will happen if things go wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't like. I don't know if that's like something consciously that my parents have put into me, but definitely from kind of seeing how they've gone about things in their own career and like the decisions they made and the sacrifices that they made um, to have like a better life. I think that that really kind of resonated with me. Mm. I find that really interesting. I know there's one theme. I feel has really stuck out to me personally through the conversations of the different individuals is is this level of optimism and really trying to understand where that comes from. And I think as everybody, uh, I mean, as we talk about, you can you can have you know Rohit Bhagava, you know, one in an, you know an alternate universe who's a little less pessimistic or more pessimistic kind of thing, looking at the same problem coming to two different completely based outcome, right? Regardless of just based on what you think is going to happen, that, that perception of what's what the bad is going to happen and the bad might even be just the same thing you move yeah. back with your family but some people are going oh but it you know that whole idea of but that's really really bad i find that really interesting and the common thing i've noticed as well too is that and this is something maybe again resonates with me because i i, I tend to probably come from a bit more of a fear base is it'll be like you know like yourself you know well, what's the worst that's going to happen right okay well i, I you know i have to go find another job but you know big whoop kind of thing right but I think a lot of other people will go, oh, but you know, I have to go find another job. Like that's awful, kind of thing. And then that fear base. I find that I find that really interesting. That um, and I'm curious from your sense to kind of deviate away for a sec. Obviously, we'll talk more about the podcast in a second. But as you interview entrepreneurs, do you also see that theme of optimism coming out from a lot of the people you've interviewed? Yeah, 100. percent So um, I actually so we recently did our 50th interview on the podcast. And so one of the guests that I had on was Paul Naftali, who's the managing partner of Rampersand Venture Capital. 
And so one of the things that he's been really a big proponent of and something that a lot of investors and, and just people that I've kind of been fortunate to, to interview on the podcast have mentioned is um, the need for balance between being extremely optimistic and ex- and extremely paranoid <laughs> about things. And so, uh, you know, without, without optimism, you just won't take any action mm-hmm. at all. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really difficult if, um, if you're doubting kind of like every single step. Um, it's hard to make any decisions or it's hard to make any progress if you're constantly sort of looking back on mm-hmm. things. But at the same time, you need to balance that with being extremely paranoid. So you can't just be mm. extremely optimistic without being somewhat realistic about things and understanding that things are challenging. Um, you get better at, at those sort of things as well. So I think, you know, we talked about um, being really naive and you need that to get started. I think the, the more you learn, the, the more you kind of figure out that there's so many things that you just don't know. <laughs> um, you know, we, we were again just kind of talking about the podcasting yeah. process. Um, you know, it seems simple and straightforward. Like, you know, yeah, we just set up a few microphones and, mm-hmm. you know, we talk into it and when we record and put that up. But there's a lot of different things that, you know, you just don't, don't realise until you start doing that, mm-hmm. uh, going, going through that process. So, um, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think being optimistic is just uh, is a really important aspect of just getting things done. But um, to be successful, um, I think you need, you need that balance Absolutely. of that with, with the realism as well. Yeah, I know uh, Tim Ferriss is as my listeners are probably getting extremely bored of hearing by now, big, <laughs> big fan of Tim Ferriss. He recently did a TED Talk, and he talks about fear setting. Um, so it's um, he's got a great exercise where you actually you actually look at the worst case scenarios. You actually, you know, just indulge it. Let let the uh, you know let the devil on shoulder do its speaking kind of thing, and then write those down. And then from there, then you go, okay, this is the worst worst case scenarios. And then from there, actually try to address them. So yeah. so you know, what if, what if they happen? Like what, what is actually gonna, what is actually the worst thing that can really happen out of that kind of thing? Yeah. I lose some money or whatever. And then what can you do to mitigate that as well too? So have some savings. I think that back to that sort of bit, you know, that, um, um, uh, so what was the other one you was, it was optimism, but, um, uh, balancing that with, um, um, being extremely paranoid. There we go. Paranoid. So then taking the paranoia and trying to go, okay, how can I try to manage that? And, you know, in a more appropriate way. What measures can I put in place that even if it did happen, what yeah. can I do to sort of mitigate it against, you know, how bad that can be kind of yeah. thing. So. I, I think it's, um, like, I'm actually writing a blog post about this as well um, on, like, kind of mindset because I think it's, it's really hard for people to understand. So my girlfriend is very different to I am. Um, my parents are very different to I am. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's hard for people to sort of understand of, like, how can you take take this take this decision to kind of go ahead and, and do things. So like not wanting to kind of fast forward too much, but ended up leaving my job at Alstom after two years and putting my savings and jumping into the business. But for me, that was always uh, like my, my thing was, you know, worst case scenario, um, this probably isn't going to work out, but I can come back and do what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. But the upside of me making this work is so much higher and like the learnings and like, you know, all of the different things, there's, there's so much more upside in, in this working than mm. the downside in this not working. So there's no, there's no risk. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, risky not to take risky, that action. I think right? that is it right there. It's risky not to do it. Yeah. And so um, that's, that's what I've kind of like really struggled with a lot is like when, when people, you know, um, when I'm talking to a few people in the corporate space that, that want to kind of get out and, and, 
are worried about, you know, making the finances work and everything. Like, I, I completely sympathise with that. Um, but it's also, it's, it's difficult mm. to kind of make, make any sort of progress. And so, like, you know, how can you... I don't think you can teach someone to be optimistic as mm. well. I think that's kind of almost like an ingrained nature. You can kind of have a different sort of outlook on life. But I think a lot of that needs to be, like, un just understand that, you know, hope that, that things will sort of work out. Mm. Um, yeah, it's... I, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one. Oh, absolutely. And I think of that as well, too. And I've talked about, like, meditation for me has been really, really critical. So um, as I talked about with Corey, you know, um, I'll, still, I'll still feel that, like, that fear, that fear reaction of go, oh, but what if? But meditation has given me the ability to say, well, hang on a sec, Tosin. Let's put a bit of a buffer there from the uh, feeling to the reaction to the feeling. And then it gives me some space. I can think about it and go, okay, hang on a sec. That's really bad. And I feel that feeling. But maybe how bad is it? How realistic is that? And then I can make more of an appropriate reaction on the flip side. But yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So, but I think that's a, that is kind of a good point to go back to. So you obviously, you, your three-month contract ended up working out quite well. And you actually worked in the, the corporate world for a bit. Yeah, so I, I actually knew um, a couple of weeks in that I didn't want to do that long term. <laughs> um, and I told my parents, I was like, you know, even if I get offered an extension, I don't know if I'm going to take it. Mm. Um, not because I didn't enjoy the work or whatever, but because I kind of had a feeling that, that the corporate space wasn't really for me. And do you know what that feeling was? Like, can you describe that a bit before what you feeling? Um, well, it was just more, um, I didn't feel engaged at work. Mm. Um, I was, again, kind of getting to that phase of, like, similar to uni where I was doing the bare minimum to, to get mm. by. Uh, but I started doing so many different things on the side. So, you know, I was, like, coming home and working on different ideas or going to different meetups and, like, every single night. Mm. And so um, I kind of, I kind of, I didn't know whether I wanted to start a startup or, like, what it is that I wanted to do. I just didn't feel right mm. being in that space. Um, my parents kind of talked me out of it <laughs> and, uh, well, we, we kind of came to an agreement mm -hmm. around things. So they said, you know, stick around for two years. So you at least have something on your resume so you can fall back on. So mm -hmm. like that whole worst case scenario is not that bad. Like you still have options. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, if you can stick it out for two years, then we won't say anything to you. <laughs> so I, I was like, okay, fine. Um, so I ended up lasting 23 months yeah. uh, before kind of calling it kids. <laughs> almost there. Almost at the two almost years. There. Yeah. Excellent. Um, now, I, I think it was important as well, too, that you started, you, you were going to meetups and you're working on ideas on the side kind of thing. So you didn't know what that was going to look like at the time or sort of can you kind of talk us through a little bit about where you're at outside of that nine to five space? Yeah. So um, I think like I think there are definitely like different cycles that people go through, especially when they're coming into something like startups, which is, you know, a completely different industry to what they've been raised around mm. or what they've kind of studied at uni and, and things like that. So I think that first phase is like you're just trying to absorb as much information as, as possible. So you weren't shooting in a certain direction. You just went just, just trying to intake everything, yeah. trying to find what you wanted to do. Yeah, so I mean, like, obviously, I, I tried to start a few things at, at uni. Um, I knew how to sell, but I didn't know startups. I didn't know business. There was it completely fine. I didn't know what, like, all of these terms that people were talking about, like MVP and business models and like all of these, like they were completely foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And so um, that first phase was, you know, me just trying to figure things out. Like, you know, hey, what do I, what do I need to learn? What mm -hmm. do I need to do? What is this? Um, and a large part of that was actually kind of getting involved in the startup community and the ecosystem and then finding other people that were like me over there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like for the longest time, I always kind of felt a little bit different and weird 
Um, none of my friends are into business. Like they're all successful doctors and lawyers and <laughs> engineers and all of those things. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, I kind of love them to death. We're still like all of my friend, like close group of friends from high school. We're still really, really tight. But um, we're just all very different. Like mm. I'm just very different to to all of them when it came to those things. And so it was really that was the first time that I was like, ah, oh, I found my people mm-hmm. um, and really kind of felt like I, I kind of belonged to something, which is another kind of aspect that kind of kept driving me to, to want to just be more and more involved mm-hmm. in that space. Uh, and so, yeah, I think the first part of that was like, I just wanted to try so many different things and just kind of learning things and taking part in competitions and stuff and just being fortunate to be part of like winning teams as part of that. And, you know, that just gives you more access mm-hmm. to, to the right people uh, and things like that too. So it, it was just, uh, it w- that initial phase was, you know, I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a business that I kind of tried to start um, for uh, about a year, 18 months or so um, in the sports tech space. Mm-hmm. Um, but that never really kind of, got off the ground. Um, there were a lot of issues with like dealing with associations and stuff like that. But um, it was, again, it was like just a really good learning experience of like, you know, what are the things that I kind of need to have in place? How do I deal with like, um, deal with tech? How do I deal with like, you know, making partnerships and, and all of those sort of different mm. things and like having just mentors on board that were willing to spend the time with me to kind of, you know, being really patient uh, while I was trying to learn all of these things on the fly. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really kind of like interesting experience of just there's, you, again, you, you kind of just realise that there's so much to learn mm. and so much that you don't know. Um, it all looks easy from the outside <laughs> once you actually start getting involved. Yeah. There's, there's just so many different levels of detail. Mm. So you made it 23 months mm-hmm. and obviously you're doing a whole bunch of stuff on the side. So at what point did you feel that you're ready to make that leap? Was it was it a matter just you had the information, you felt ready to go, or what was sort of that transition of that 23 months like? So, um, like, it was really good having, uh, having kind of like a timeline of things. Um, so I knew that I, w- I would be there for two years mm-hmm. at least. I would potentially stick around longer if I knew what I kind of wanted to do uh, to jump out. And so there was that sports tech idea that I was kind of working on for about a year but not really making that much progress with it. Um, I ended up just getting kind of sick of dealing with things. So I was talking to former Australian international cricketer about coming on board as a business partner and stuff, and people just weren't taking me seriously because I was like 22, 23, <laughs> trying to tell yeah. you know people within large sporting associations what they should be doing, and mm-hmm. they, they were like, "Who are you?" Yeah, um, sort of deal. So just got kind of sick of that. I'm like, I, I don't want to have to deal with relying on people mm. anymore to make something work. And so I uh, came down to Melbourne for a thing called Startup Weekend mm-hmm. um, and uh, pitched this idea for a crowdfunding platform for fashion, um, not really expecting anything to kind of happen. Um, ended up having seven people join the team over the weekend. Um, we came second in the comp. We were offered an investment before the judges' scores came out. We had the first few people of our advisory board set up. Like, this was all over the space of a weekend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Wow. I've made so much more progress over a weekend <laughs> that I've made over like the last year trying yeah. to do things. It's it's crazy. And so like we were, um, so like, I mean, we, I spent probably the best part of six months uh, flying down uh, every fortnight or so mm-hmm. to kind of meet the team. So the rest of the co-founders were based in Melbourne at that time. So just coming down, touching base with people and trying to build things. And then we were 
my my boss at Outstorm was fantastic as well, Gwen Andrews. She was she was amazing. So she she knew most of the time that mm-hmm. you know that, that there were other things that I was kind of doing, and so she let me go down to uh, having a couple of days off every fortnight or so, wow. um, which was great. Mm-hmm. So that just gave me additional time to kind of do things without mm-hmm. having to to go from working full time to not working at all. And then it got to a stage where that wasn't manageable, and you know I kind of made the call of. Um, you know, it's probably the right time for mm. me to leave. I'm curious though too that, <laughs> and that's one thing I found really interesting about your story is fashion. Mm-hmm. Where did that? Obviously, you're running sort of a, a cricket startup while you're working in engineering, yep. and then fashion. What's what's the connection there? Where, where did that come out of? Yeah, um, you should have talked to my parents when I when I tried explaining that to them as well. <laughs> um, no, we so. Uh, the idea came from a book called The Lean Startup by uh, Eric Rice. Yes, yes. Um, and it's all about testing and validating things and building things that people want. I'm like, from everything else that I've done, this makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's essentially that whole listening to your customers and then telling you what they want and mm-hmm. then you build that for them. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, the whole, the whole book, if you've read it, kind of talks about uh, applying it to a particular project or a business. I'm like, why can't you apply this to a whole industry instead? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, obviously we tried to start a t-shirt company. Um, I had a couple of friends who were actually very talented designers and were trying to launch their own brand. Mm -hmm. And they were somewhat successful, but they just made terrible business decisions and kind of sat down with them and and tried to figure things out. And so, like, I knew that there were a lot of really talented people out there, uh, creatives who, like, really struggled with the business side of things. Mm -hmm. And especially in a market where, you know, most of the people that succeed they just have larger marketing budgets. Mm-hmm. That, that's usually how, yeah. how they win. And so from my perspective, it was like, okay, how do you help really talented people be successful? And how do you get them to compete um, or at least be self-sustaining to a point where like they don't, um, you know, they can, they can compete or like at least be around long enough mm-hmm. to, to make something work and, and be successful. And was this something that was just you kind of, this idea mm-hmm. that you were starting to develop and foster or set over a range of time by sort of through the t-shirt and then knowing these people and then reading the book like how did that idea sort of begin to form together yeah so I was, I was reading the book on like train rides because I was living in the city and I was working up in North Ride so I had about an hour each way <laughs> yeah. if you know if you know Sydney uh, so I was just kind of reading the book on the train yeah. I'm like oh this is really really interesting like what you know how can I apply this to my own mm-hmm. businesses or whatever I'm kind of doing um, and then just like had these conversations and so I think like literally from a two-week period of like okay here's kind of what I think we should do mm-hmm. to like me going okay cool there's a startup weekend happening down in Melbourne I'm going to go down and pitch oh, wow. it. Wow. So um, yeah it wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't a very extensively thought out <laughs> process and probably like I mean the the idea changed a lot um, just even over that course of that weekend. Mm-hmm. So we had an initial business model where um, designers would pay us to be part of that program mm-hmm. And I still remember the, the very first night, um, the guy who ended up being the CTO of the company, Tice, Tice Clee, we, uh, we made our first sale. And he was like, wow. okay, that's cool, but this business model is just there for the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't going to give us long-term success. And I was like, yeah, I wasn't really expect, like thinking about longer-term stuff. Like, I literally <laughs> just wanted to win this competition. Yeah. Um, and so what we... like. I still remember that first night we were like, okay, are we trying to just win this competition or are we trying to build a real business out mm. of this? Like, do we believe enough in this that we think that we can use this weekend to try and turn it into something? Mm. And 
everyone seemed to be on board. And so we're like, cool, we'll give the money back. We're saying that we're completely changing our business model. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, kind of things sort of um, took shape from, from that. Mm. The thing I love about this too is that I, I personally am always really fascinated where these ideas come from, any business, where this sort of idea comes out. Because I think at least the way I've looked at it is, and I've heard about it, is it's almost this lightning strike idea that people have. But as I actually start to dive into this, to the podcast and through these conversations, it's it's not actually. It's sort of just this thing that just starts <clears throat> to, you know, starts to mold together from these seemingly unrelated things. All of a sudden you put them together and voila, you have the seed of this idea and then obviously it goes on an evolution and, and it pivots and all those sorts of things and I know you obviously through your podcast I've heard a lot of stories about that very thing but so so you have the weekend you have a heap of success what happens next what happens next is um we then try and figure out what, what it is that we're trying to do so we had uh two other people from Sydney that ended up joining the team so we had nine people wow. so usually people struggle to find any co-founders mm-hmm. we had nine co-founders <laughs> in the business which is extremely challenging. We, we actually, um, again, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this anywhere else, but so we had, we had offered, uh, someone had offered to invest in our business um, on the night, which we turned down, and then someone offered us 10K to be a founding member of the team as well. Actually offered you money to buy in. To buy in. On an idea. Business. Yeah, because he was there at the weekend, he was working on something else, but he believed enough in the idea wow. and in our team to kind of join it. Yeah. Um, and again, I was like, I'm struggling to deal with nine people. Like, <laughs> I don't need another one, but let's, let's kind of keep talking. Um, and so, uh, so, yeah, like, I mean, a large part of that was, like, the early stages was us just trying to figure out communications. Like, I was back in Sydney. Mm. I wanted to give people time to, like, figure out what they kind of wanted to do. Um, and, again, from my side, like, I didn't know anyone in, in that team mm-hmm. uh, beforehand. And so, from my side, it was, like, you know, if, if people believe in the, enough in the idea and they want to be a part of it, great mm. like I, I you know the more resources we have the better but um you know they just need to kind of be the right fit for for what it is that we're trying to do <clears throat> and so you know organically over time people dropped off because um you know they were working on a you know it was just taking up too much time and, and they wanted to mm. focus on their corporate career <clears throat> a couple of people just ended up launching their own ideas of the back of that um there were a few people that we kind of um, just got to a stage where we, we just didn't think that the, that the fit was right mm-hmm. as well. So we ended up getting down to three, three co-founders from that, that nine. We ended up adding Matt um, on board about six months later. Um, but yeah, part of that initial kind of phase was us just kind of grinding out what this business looked like and preparing us to launch. So mm-hmm. um, as a non-tech founder... Um, you know, we, we, I was fortunate again to have a couple of like tech guys that were, that were there building, mm-hmm. building the product and, but like the majority of the team was non-tech. And so, um, I was like, okay, well, we'd, I, I, you know, I refuse to just sit around and wait for the mm-hmm. tech to be built. So like every single weekend we would like go out and hassle people and get them to subscribe. So like part of that initial process was like, we need additional validation. So mm-hmm. we would go and talk to different designers and things like that. Once we'd gotten enough validation that yes, this was going to be something um, and that we wanted to kind of launch this officially. We, uh, we then spent months trying to subscribe people and get them to join up and, and things like that. So mm. we were launching to an audience instead of just launching, spending mm-hmm. time refining a product yeah. and then hoping that, that something <laughs> kind of, there. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. So you guys had a lot. Obviously, you talked about there was a lot of inherent success early on, and I think you you, you achieved. What was the accolade you guys got? Um, <clears throat> oh, so yeah, we yeah we were um, we we received a lot of accolades um, in that time. So like we won we won a bunch of competitions. We were aimed as one of the top ten startups to watch in twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. alongside like Canva and. Um, Pocketbook and a couple of other companies that we had no business being being on the same mm-hmm. list as, um, and you know we by over the three years that that I was running it, we ended up launching over 150 different brands globally mm-hmm. from scratch. Um, you know we were doing our own runway shows in Melbourne Spring Fashion Week and Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival. We were partnering up with Uber and uh, the Body Shop and a bunch of magazines and like mm-hmm. all of those things. So yeah, there was a lot um, externally that looked to be going right. How did that feel? Obviously, like, I mean, it, it felt good, um, kind of going, like, having those accolades. Mm-hmm. But um, the the perception of what was, like, the external perception of what was going on in the business wasn't the reality. And uh, as a founder, you kind of know that uh, a little bit too. So, um so yeah, it was it was interesting, and like I mean, you know, for the most part, like the reason why I like events like Fuck Up Night. So like Gary and Josh have done an amazing job. A huge shout out to to both of them. Mm. Um, definitely worth kind of going along to those events and, and hearing the stories. But you know, for the most part, people don't want to talk about how difficult it is. So um, you know, if someone says, you know, how's stage label, how's how's your business going, whatever, you know, you're not going to say, oh, things are terrible, <laughs> where I'm stressing out about how we're going to make money, like yeah. all of those things. You're like, things are great, you know, we've got this like product feature coming out, we've got, you know, we just got features in this, we've got like, you know, our own sort of runway shows going and you always want to lead with that perception um, at that time that everything is going amazingly mm-hmm. well. Um, but it's, it's very difficult and a lonely thing. So like, uh, you know, even, even when you have co-founders, um, I think that uh, unless if like the three of you kind of found that it literally came to the same point at the exact same time and you're all as committed to it, I think there's always the one person who is um, like leading the leading the business mm. and leading the charge and is the most responsible for things. And that becomes a very lonely position because even with your co-founders, you can't... Um, you can't always tell them how difficult things are mm-hmm. or how much how stressed you are about things and, and stuff like that. So it's um it's difficult. It's difficult mm-hmm. to deal with. Absolutely. I'm curious as well too. So obviously the you're, you're outward looking in, you guys are doing really well. Obviously there's some there's some struggles we'll talk about in a sec. But I suppose for yourself, did you did you spend any time regretting starting the business or or putting your time into actually getting started? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think that was actually one of the questions that came up at Fuck Up Nights as well was, you know, um, so like we we got the business up to a particular point. We then um, we then just had massive issues with scale. So our business model was broken because mm-hmm. we were providing a whole heap of upfront value for designers. So designers being really good on the creative side struggled with like marketing, pricing, supply chain, logistics, PR, all of those things, which we were doing for free mm-hmm. for those designers up front with the view that, you know, if they win, we win, mm-hmm. and that longer term, we would succeed with them. Um, but uh, what we kind of realised was because we were providing all of that upfront value that we weren't, uh, the most valuable thing that we did, we weren't charging for mm. um, because they also had no money. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Catch-22. Catch-22. Yeah. Um, we would get the designers up to a particular point and then they would then kind of jump off and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, it's it's real sort of uphill struggle to get them up to that point. And when you but when you find a gem and they're doing really well, like, you know, you get really excited and mm -hmm. then they jump off and mm -hmm. they're no longer your kind of like stage level designer. It's it's tough because then you you know, you're struggling not just to grow the business, you're just struggling to kind of keep up with like orders coming in and revenue and stuff like that. So there was a whole heap of kind of challenges with with scale of what it is that we were trying to do, which was, you know, a difficult process to kind of deal with. And like, you know, we got through where we just tried a bunch of different things. So it's like, you know, can we charge them for things? Can we put them on a contract? Can we do whatever? Um, again, there were just like particular things that like, you know, the contracts would have been probably the most viable solution for us, but I also didn't feel comfortable in contracting people to stuff before we started working with them. Um, because, you know, if we weren't, if we weren't able to add value, then mm. you've just got someone who signed a contract away because they're kind of desperately in need of things, but they don't actually need you or, mm. or whatever. Like, so I, I just never felt comfortably comfortable with those sort of things. But um, in terms of like, in terms of the business model, I probably should have known six months in that this wasn't going to work. Did but you I'm, did you know six months in it wasn't going to work? You just went. I didn't. No, so you, you thought didn't. it was. I, I feel I feel like everyone else around me knew. Mm. I didn't um, because I'm extremely stubborn. When it comes to things, and I kind of see what I want to see as well. But, um, like, looking back, um, you know, knowing that probably six months in, we potentially should have stopped, um, I'm really glad that we didn't, and I'm really glad that we kind of went through that entire process. So when people kind of talk about failure, they talk about, you know, oh, the business model didn't work, or, like, the finances didn't work, or you didn't price it right. Um, failure to me is like the lessons that you get. It's not about mm. the, the failure. It's about like, what are you actually learning from that? And so it wasn't, for me, the biggest learnings weren't, hey, the business model was broken. The learnings were like, you know, how do I deal with adversity? How do I deal with managing teams? How do I deal with making sales? How do I deal with just this financial stress? How do I deal with like all of these things that you only learn by doing? Mm. There's no way that I kind of would have, you know, had the same set up if, if we'd shut down six months after. Um, so I'm really, really glad that, like, I, I wouldn't change anything in the sense of, like, looking on the other side, you know, I ran out of money, um, which isn't great. But, uh, but you know, even, even from that point, like, you, you come back from that, mm. right? Like, that's not, that's not a critical wound that you can't come back from. Um, and so for me, it was like I, I wouldn't change anything because I feel like for my own sort of personal growth and for me to become more mature... Um, I had to go through that. And for me, like, to potentially kind of, you know, um, bring my ego down a little bit as well and, like, make me look at things from a different perspective, like, I had to go through that and have that really, really big low mm. for a really long time for me to learn all of those lessons. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't change anything. Mm. So coming to that, what was the end of... Can you talk us through a little bit about the end of Stage Label, obviously how that kind of came about? Yeah, so... Um, we so like the way that it officially ended was um, the co-founders and I went away for a weekend, and um, again, like I mean, everyone knew that things weren't kind of working, and so like the the idea around that was like we would just have a discussion around what's next. Mm. Um, I probably knew heading into that weekend that that was it for me. So again, being very extreme, mm -hmm. I was completely in for three years. I then got to a stage where I'm like, okay, I'm out. That's it. like I've given everything, I've tried everything, I'm just at a stage where I think I'm ready to move, but here's that kind of last moment for us to see if there's anything else that we can do. Do you remember, was there a, a distinct point where you had that feeling or you went, 
that's it? Or was it just kind of a realization near the end that um, that was it? I think it was, it was a little bit of a realization. We, we, did our, we did a fashion runway show for, I think it was like Melbourne Spring Fashion Week or something. And the feeling going into it was always, this is our last event. Mm. I don't know if I externally voiced that to anyone, but that to me was always like a, that's, we're kind of building up to this final, this is the final kind of like goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if anyone else knew, knew that at that time. Um, so like I'd kind of made up my mind. I think like we, we got in, we, we like looked at, we brainstormed a lot of different things. We had like um, post-it notes and things like all over this Airbnb place <laughs> uh, with like different ideas and different things that we could do. And um, I remember us just going, okay, you know what? Let's just like all of us are burnt out. Let's just take some time away and see, like, you know, come back to it and just see what we kind of want to do from a fresh perspective. And I remember the next day, like, I can't speak for anyone else, but, like, I just felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And I felt, like, uh, felt, I wouldn't say happy, but, like, just relieved. Mm. And to me, that was, like, the biggest indication of, you know what, I'm, I'm ready mm-hmm. to kind of move on. And so we never ended up coming back to it. Um, I don't, I think the website was still kind of operating for a couple of weeks. Like I still get emails about it randomly. (laughs) Um, you know, it was, uh, so we never had like an official ending, Mm -hmm. but I think that was kind of like the ending point for, for us. Mm -hmm. And again, it wasn't more, it wasn't more like a single point in time. It was definitely like a build up Mm -hmm. over things. But then when I kind of felt that that built up to a particular point, um, I knew that that was kind of the end. Mm. So obviously, so stage label um, comes to an end, obviously, you come back from the weekend and sort of kind of decide at that point, what was the next transition? How do you sort of, how did you come back from that? What did you do next? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, uh, when something that close to you and something that you've committed that much of your life to ends, it is a very difficult kind of process. And so I went through that initial phase of, uh, you know, I thought I could make this work and I, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Now I need to, um, you know, now I need to try and make something work really, really quickly. And so I, I started approaching a bunch of businesses where, um, you know, the focus for me was very different. I was just trying to make cash as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I burnt through maybe like 12, 15 different ideas in the space of three months, um, which is the complete opposite experience to what I had of stage label of, you know, going through and uh, focusing on one thing every single day for three mm-hmm. years. Uh, but then, um, yeah, I guess kind of going through that experience, I was like, you know what, I'm just kind of burnt out a little bit as well and I need to take some time. So, uh, again, went through a similar theme of, uh, being offered a job, um, which would have paid me double the role that I ended up kind of taking, (laughs) taking in the end. Um, and so like I ended up joining Startup Vic, which is a not-for-profit organization here to help develop the startup ecosystem. And so there were a couple of reasons why I took that decision. One was, you know, I personally benefited a lot from some of the things that Startup Vic did mm-hmm. while I was running my own startup. And, you know, this is my opportunity to give back. But also when we kind of talk about, um, you know, building relationships and building networks, um, a lot of that comes from delivering value to people. And that's, again, something that we kind of spoke about before mm-hmm. we turned the podcast on was like, how can you, the type of people that everyone wants to get in touch with, like, how do you actually build a, a true relationship with them and it isn't by like asking to kind of pick their brain yeah it's by actually doing something that adds value to them uh and so like i knew that 
from the role at Startup Vic, if I did it effectively enough, I would be in a position where where usually a lot of people are um, you know, looking to take a lot from these people. I could provide value to everyone mm-hmm. in the space. Everyone from like co-working spaces to founders to VCs to just anyone who does anything within the ecosystem. And so, um, again, I was kind of with them for about a year or so, um, like, you know, really sort of valuable experience. Yeah, I suppose... Um for yourself, like one thing I know uh, I've got a lot out of listening to you um, previously and obviously from today's chat is you have a bit of a different focus on deliver value. Everything you do, it's deliver value first. And from that, obviously, you are creating a symbiotic relationship for yourself to drive some value as well, too, whether it be, you know, Domino's Pizza, right, all the way up through. Um, I want to just pause for a sec, just ask, like, even just for myself, where did that sort of come from? Do you, did that come from just, again, early on and just sort of it just being naturally ingrained in you at some point or just that advice from somebody like where did that idea sort of that that perspective come from um i i think it's a really big part of my like just who i am as a person Mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of that again comes from like my parents so uh my mom especially she's she she's kind of like everyone's best friend and kind of goes (laughs) above and beyond and, and like you know she did a lot of that for like my sister and me especially growing up and so um you know, I've always kind of wanted to be a lot more like her mm-hmm. when it came to those things. But, um, I mean, selfishly, like, it just feels really good to, to offer value to people. Um, you know, again, you know, in a, in a world where, like, people are looking at everything. So, you know, when you go to, like, networking events and people are kind of judging you within two to five seconds based mm-hmm. on your role and how much value you can get out of them. Like, I have a very different approach when I go to networking events, which is, like, I'm not trying to meet 30 people. I just want to meet one or two people that I can have a talk with for 20 mm. minutes. Um, and so what a lot of people like overlook when it comes to networking is, you know, um, there are a multiple different sort of connection points. And so, uh, you know, you, for example, might not be able to directly add value to me or whatever, but if I'm able to help you, you'll talk, mm. you know, at some stage and you'll potentially be connected up to someone else who will, you know, like there's just so much... Yeah. That, that kind of happens, but it's never a direct relationship. Whereas I think like a lot of people approach that with a one way, like I do this for you and then you do this yeah, for me or what can I get out from you? Thing, it's yeah. very, very transactional. And, and you know, I think, uh, again, like it's, it's just kind of going against the grain of things. Like how do you actually, like who are the type of people that you want to spend more time with or do more for or whatever? And they're yeah. always the people that kind of go above and beyond for you. So, um, you know, it's like, how do you do that? at scale and how can I kind of position myself in a way that I can like deliver value to people not again with the expectation that one day someone comes back to me Mm. Um, because I think that's a secondary part of that as well is that like if you if you do that with the intent of getting something back you're you're like a it's never shorter like there's so many different ways that it comes back to you that you Mm. just don't realize absolutely but but secondly like you know you're just going to get burnt out really, really quickly yeah. and you can get very jaded and just think that people are terrible because for the most part, like, people won't thank you for, for providing them introductions to things. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, um, I'm fortunate to help kind of do a lot of intros to investors or intro people to different sort of successful founders or kind of just guide people on the right path. 90% of the people don't say thank you. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, for the few people that do, like, you know, we have that, again, as a platform for us to build a relationship out of. Um, and that, again, is more kind of longer term. And that's not something that I kind of expect back financially or in some direct way. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a good thing to do. And again, yeah. kind of going back to that earlier, like, 
you do good things and, you know, th good things will come back to you as well. And you've just got to hope and trust that the things sort of work out. Absolutely. If, if I had to get my soapbox for just one quick second, because I think what you said is so powerful and I don't, I don't want to shift blame for this, but I know through uni and, you know, into my early corporate career, it was very much, okay, you got to go to this networking event. You got to come back with five business cards and it did that, but it never felt a, it never felt right. And B you got five business cards, but it's just a meaningless email that you're going to send kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I know I've gone on a real, a real journey over the last probably two years and just saying, okay, I just want to, I just want to bring value to other people. And, and to that extent as well too, I don't want to kind of I said, sign somebody else up for a contract uh, and some sort of implied contract where if I do this, then they have to do it back kind of thing for me. I just, yeah. I just think that's so wrong. And I, cause I hate for people to do it to me because it, maybe I can help them out with something else. Maybe there's some other value I can bring them. They didn't even know kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but to that extent as well too, like I love the idea of, and I've heard this a lot, even uh, Ryan Spagavento from Coffee on Q talks about how, you know, he wanted to learn a skill. So he went to another entrepreneur who was doing really, really well. And his only goal was to let me work for free. Let me add value back to you and just being in environment added so much value back to him as well too right but it came through different ways than he didn't necessarily expect as well too and i think that's so powerful and just something that for whatever reason i think just this transactional quick we got to you got to succeed very quickly and you got to do that by getting mass you got to do that by meeting as many people as possible it's just so wrong so yeah. wrong so yeah wrong. i mean like you know i i see that a lot from from my mom in particular like you know she's got her own cafe and just like when I, whenever i'm in canberra and kind of see the way that she engages with people and, you know, the way that people keep coming back. And, you know, it's just very, you know, you, you see the direct sort of part of that. But for me, like personally, again, there were so many people that were willing to um, sit down and be really patient and listen to me and help me work through things like as mentors or just kind of, you know, one-off coffees or whatever mm -hmm. that like I, I wouldn't have gotten as far as I did with Stage Label if it wasn't for all of those people. And so, again, from my perspective, it's like, you know, I may not be able to pay them back, but I can pay that forward mm. to, to others as well. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, like, at the end of the day, it's just a good thing to do, mm, right? Yeah. It, it, at the worst case scenario, nothing comes back to you. It just feels good, yeah. like, knowing that you've done something good. That to, is your to, return, that, really. That is, that is your good. return. And everything else is kind of, like, above and beyond yeah. that. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah. So you do uh, start up Vic for a while, but mm -hmm. how was that getting in, going from running your own running stage label to then going into sort of a, uh, a nine to five of oil? How was, like, how did you kind of go adjusting to yeah, that? Yeah, um, I mean, like Startup Vic, while I was there, wasn't a, wasn't a standard nine to five. Um, so, you know, for starters, we didn't have a CEO at that time. So <laughs> it was essentially myself and Thomas Arnbeek, who's another fantastic guy um, in the Victorian startup ecosystem, um, essentially kind of running the organization day to day between us, mm -hmm. which is great. So like I needed that autonomy to kind mm -hmm. of do my own thing uh, as well. And so, um, yeah, I mean, like it was it was a different transition. But um, again, it was you know, I consciously kind of said that I didn't want to work on something for a little while. So I just wanted to take a break and again, go through that cycle of just absorbing things like more than absorbing, uh, giving value mm. to people as well and just being patient and just waiting for things to kind of come to me versus me trying to force something to happen because I, I felt like I had to make something work. And why did you take that approach first, what you've done before? Um, so uh, that's, that's a really good question. I think the... I think a big part of that was like directly after stage label, I just burned through so many different things really mm. quickly that I knew that my, uh, my vision wasn't, wasn't right. 
And um, one of the biggest kind of things that I've learned like over not just through stage label and whatever, but like through everything is like it's not it's not just about uh, the idea. So it's not how good the idea is. Mm. Um, it's it's more so about are you the right person for that particular idea? So, you know, there were like stage label someone else could have potentially made that work because I didn't come from a fashion background. There was a much larger learning curve that I had to go through to get myself up to a base level mm. understanding and the connections that I needed to build up for us to be successful in that space. And so that happened, but that took me 18 months, whereas if someone had already come in with that background, they would have been a lot more successful potentially mm. earlier on. Um, and so again, with a lot of these different businesses, I was just going in with the wrong sort of guiding light with those sort of things. And so I think a large part of that was, um, you know, realizing that and realizing, you know, when I was truly passionate, again, that whole extreme end of like being, being completely <laughs> in or being completely yeah. out, I couldn't do that in between. Um, you know, there was, there was a time, um, you know, I think I kind of mentioned this with, uh, with Sage Label where I came back um, from a holiday, mm. uh, you know, uh, it was my first holiday in about three or four years and I landed and within a couple of hours of landing, I was given the opportunity to come back and speak at an event that we wanted, uh, that I was told that one of the people that we really wanted as an investor or advisor would potentially be there. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't hesitate and jumped back. And this is when you were at Stage Label, correct? This, this, yes, this was gotcha. during my time at Stage Label. And so like, didn't hesitate, booked my flights, came back, um, did the talk the same day, like three hours after I landed and the person wasn't there. <laughs> oh, no. um, but, but, you know, like from my side, like I didn't, I was like, you know, that, that's just the cost of doing this. And yeah. like, you know, if I, if I believe in this, like this is the stuff that I kind of need to do to make this work. Um, I need to put myself in opportunities where that luck yeah. happens. Um, but with all of these other things that I was kind of working on, like I wouldn't go anywhere near that sort of extreme of like, you know, enough conviction within mm. this to, to kind of make that work. And so uh, I think that, I, again, I think that was a really important phase for me to go through of like, you know, that this isn't why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. And so stop this and just take some time, like cool off, take time to absorb all of the lessons as well, because you go through a phase where, you know, you don't, you don't want to dive right back into it yeah. um, and you don't want to think about all the lessons that you've picked up. And so like, I think a large part of that was just kind of taking a breath and going, okay, just take some time, um, you know, just focus on giving value to people, build up that, you know, that network, give yourself the time to kind of absorb all of those lessons so that when you do decide to start something else, you'll be in a much better position to, mm -hmm. to make it work. Um, yeah, I, like, I mean, again, consciously that was like looking back, I think that's, that's the process, <laughs> but when you're kind of going through that, that process as well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of know for sure. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So um, now you ended up staying at Startup Fit for, I think, about a year and a bit. Mm -hmm. So why did you end up transitioning out of that role? Um, what was the next step, I should <clears> say, after that? Yeah, so, I mean, Startup Vic, uh, again, was like a really interesting opportunity. I, uh, I definitely kind of felt like I'd reached the ceiling in terms of my own, like, learning. So, mm -hmm. like, that's a really big part of, like, why I kind of do, do anything is, like, you know, I want to be in a position where I can, like, learn and grow. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, I, I just kind of felt that that had stagnated over there. Um, Sadovic had also hired a new CEO at that time. So, um, you know, there was a new kind of direction of the organisation and it just kind of felt the time was right for me mm -hmm. to move. Uh, but without really knowing what that next step would be. <laughs> so I was almost kind of, like, back to square one again, 
from a year prior, but uh, in a completely different sort of position with that. Just in terms of obviously being a little further away from stage mm-hmm. label and being able to sort of sit and kind of dwell. Yeah, on so I, I mean, like with, with, with stage label, there was definitely that sense of like, I needed to make something, like I just failed and I need to make something work. And it was very haphazard and, and urgent just and kind of like, redeem, just kind of trying to redeem things yeah. and there was like in the financial stress of like you know being out of money and, and mm. all of those things too so like my my mindset was very different at that time um versus like you know when I left Startup Vic I was like okay what do I actually want to do now mm. um and you know again just being in a fortunate position where there were a couple of different job offers and going through and there were some some great ones like my girlfriend and I didn't know whether we would be staying in in Melbourne at that time as well so mm-hmm. there was like a whole heap of different things that were sort of <laughs> all going the different on. balls you're trying to juggle um, something to draw. yeah but I, I think a large part of that was you know there were a couple of opportunities that were uh, that I got offered that were you know 95% what I wanted to do but weren't 100% mm-hmm. and um, just knowing that again I was like okay I don't want to settle for things like whatever I kind of do next I want to commit and make sure it's the right thing for me and, and something that I really want to sort of dedicate myself towards the same way that I was at stage label. Do you feel it was easier at that point to come to that decision than it had been before? Oh, yeah, 100%. So, I mean, like, when you don't have... When you've gotten that extra time and that additional year... Like, I think it's just a maturity thing as mm. well. So a big thing for me is um, every single experience that I've had has, like, everything else aside has just taught me much more about myself. So, like, forget about the business lessons and all of those different things. Um, it's been just understanding myself a lot better. So like what drives me, what am I good at? What mm. am I terrible at? Which is like 95, like 99% of things, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, just kind of being more aware of like, you know, what are my capabilities and what's my biggest upside mm. into things. So, um, again, kind of going back to that whole, you know, it's not just about the idea. It's about, are you the right person for that? Mm. Just being a bit more conscious of, of those sort of things and going, you know what, this seems like a great opportunity. Am I the right person or is there a different kind of capability and what's the right way for me to be involved with different things mm. as well? So knowing that I like doing multiple different projects, does that mean that I lead multiple different projects or does that mean that I can support different projects or like what's the right structure? Yeah, be true to what things. you actually want to do and not trying to fake it. Cause... Not, not trying to fake it and not be, um, you know, something that, you know, uh, it's difficult when, uh, when, you know, when you're young and you've got your friends who are super successful in their mm. own careers and you wonder when you're broke <laughs> whether, <laughs> whether you kind of made the right decisions yeah. and, like, you know, all the, like, it's, it's really, really tough. But I think, um, I think a big part of, like, just going through that process is just cutting out that external noise and going, you know, like, again, just being what's really true for me and what's mm. the right thing for me. Because I know that, like, you know, I wouldn't be... Um, at the stage in my career, like being offered the types of roles and the type of money, yeah. if I had stayed in that corporate career path all those years ago, there's no way because like I just operate and learn and progress differently um, to to kind of that that normal sort of setting. So I think you know part of that is like you know I don't like the corporate environment because I feel stifled, but I also feel that I'm not successful within that particular environment. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's just it's just a matter of kind of knowing yourself a little bit better and knowing, you know, what's your biggest upside. Absolutely. I know um, uh, one of the episodes that's going to come up before before yours, episode six with uh, 
Andrew McKinnon from uh, Taboo. He has a he's got a really beautiful analogy, I think, to kind of sum this up. And he calls it the chaos triangle. I can't remember where he got it from. And obviously, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to Andrews, make sure you jump after jump over to that as soon as this is done. But basically, he talks about there's there's three sides, there's three points on a triangle, right? And generally, we exist at the top, and that's sort of a our day to day. We're just sort of carrying on, and, and you know whatever it is. But every once in a while, something happens to put us into a state of chaos. It could mm. be something we saw coming, something we didn't see coming, whatever it is. And that then takes us down to the second part of the triangle, mm. left or right, whichever way you want to go. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're into the state of chaos. Shit's hit the fan, basically. But what happens is, is we transition to the third side of that, which is recovering, learning, growing, developing, coming out of that beaten, bruised, but with a new set of skills or a better toolbox to know how to deal with that solution and then from there we then transition to the top of the triangle where we go back to existing but our toolbox is a little bit bigger yeah and i know um one thing that the fuck up nights has really given me is really forced me to kind of sit back and and say okay if i was if i was up there telling my story as you did what would i say and i realized that up until more recently in my life i think i have operated for primarily a fear point of view and i haven't really put myself out there i haven't really failed but in that same sense, that has been my single biggest failure is I haven't, I haven't tried to put myself or be, comfor- be more comfortable in that state of chaos. I've been in the state of chaos, but it's probably just from stuff that you know, I didn't see coming instead of taking more risks and you know, putting myself out there a little bit more. Yeah. So kind of with yourself, you've, kind of, you've gone through that again and again and again. But even though you came out the other side of these situations, your toolbox is bigger, you're stronger, you're you know, more adapted to that particular time. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, um, you know, like, like you just mentioned, like choosing not to make a decision is also a decision mm. uh, when it comes to things. And so, uh, you know, kind of just going back to like you know, the whole deciding not to take a risk is, is often the yeah. riskiest thing that you can do, especially when you're, when you're young and you don't have mortgages and you don't have the, you know, the different things. Like the upside is just so much bigger um, and the downside isn't, isn't that bad. But um, yeah, it's, it's funny that you kind of mentioned that chaos. My, my girlfriend and I, um, again, she's she's very different. So she's very much kind of like the typical sort of corporate and, and sort of successful in, in that sort of mode. Um, she finds it very difficult to kind of deal with me because I feel like a lot of the time I um, I consciously seek the chaos mm. as well. Um, you know, a, a large sort of part of that is if I get too comfortable. And I think potentially that's part of the reason why I had to leave Startup Vic as well was it was just comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I needed to get back into that stage of like throwing myself into into chaos mm-hmm. and forcing myself to kind of learn and grow um, because, you know, you can't always rely on externally that sort of stuff coming to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I don't um, think you should. I think you should just be, yeah, great when it comes, but yeah. internally, right? There, there was a really interesting article that came out from um, uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks's TEDx talk recently mm-hmm. about how he felt that he had, like, imposter syndrome mm-hmm. or something, um, which is essentially, like, he's like, you know, I have this fear that people are going to call me out and, like, realise that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, that's often what it's like running a, running a startup yeah. because, like, no one teaches you any of these things. Uh, and it's not about, like, operating business. It's, like, how do you deal with people? How do you deal with stress? How do you deal mm-hmm. with, like, clients? How do you deal with, like, all of those different things? Um, you know, you have to kind of... You, you, like to me personally, I think universities are really good for providing structure. So even entrepreneurship programs, you know, um, I don't think that they teach you how to how to launch a business. They mm. teach you how to operate yeah. something. But for you to actually create something, you need to actually go out and put yourself in chaos yeah. and and do that because that's the only way that you actually learn how to how to go about and do that. So like same thing with the podcast, right? 
there's a million videos that you can see about you know what's a step-by-step guide of, of launching a podcast but until you actually go out and do there mm. do it um there's so many different things that you just don't know absolutely i think there's a mike tyson quote here and everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face and i think that's exactly it you've got yeah. the textbook you've read it you get punched in the face as your state of chaos and that's that's when you really got to go for it yeah. So, so obviously, so you, you went out of, uh, so you came out of Start of Victoria, but, and you're obviously, um, obviously running, running the podcast and congratulations on it. You've done incredibly well. And obviously Thank I you. I think there's a 10th of the success that'll be success for myself with this podcast. But I suppose as you look ahead, obviously you've talked a lot about your story so far. Where do you sort of see that next step for yourself? I mean, what's, what's next? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously the podcast will kind of continue on. Um, so, uh, again, we were kind of just talking, like, I feel like it's just the greatest gig on earth. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. You know, you get to sit there with, uh, with amazing people, um, or at least I do. Uh, <laughs> oh, same here, same here. All my guests. Yeah. yeah I feel like I'm a bit of an imposter sometimes sitting across from the table. From I, I, I feel, I feel like that every single time, yeah. but, um, no, it's, it's just amazing. Like you get to, you get to sit there with people and essentially pick their brain and, you know, um, other people hopefully find it valuable enough to kind of sit and, and engage with, like. It's just, uh, again, from a value standpoint, it's just hugely value-adding, mm-hmm. uh, which is, again, a big reason why I kind of started that. But, um, you know, I... And I think one of the things that we kind of spoke about on the phone as well was, you know, the monetization side of, mm-hmm. of podcasting. Um, and I've actually been really conscious not to monetize the podcast. Um, so, uh, again, like, everything has just magically sort of worked out with it. Um, you know, we picked up some early success uh, for the podcast early on, and that's kind of helped us get additional guests and additional kind of downloads. Uh, but we got, uh, I got offered um, a lot of sponsorship opportunities from a very early stage <laughs> and I decided to turn them all away. Um, you know, A, because I didn't really feel like for some of them there was a the right fit mm. with, with what I was kind of doing. But also, like, I know that uh, for me this is very much a hobby and, but this is also something that I want to make sure provides the most value to people. And so, again, kind of going back to just being self-aware about things, being in situations where I've like run events and we've had sponsors and there's whenever you have people that are paying you mm. to do things, you need to meet certain requirements yeah. of like types of questions or types of like themes or topics. And to me, like I felt like that would detract from the value of what it, what it is that I was trying to create mm. through the podcast. And um, for, for me personally, I, I think other people can do it fantastically well. I know that I personally would potentially struggle with that. So, uh, so, and, and also, you know, I've, again, been fortunate not to kind of need the podcast mm. to be a monetization angle as well directly. Um, so that, that's just meant that I can kind of keep that independent and have that, keep that vision of what it is that I'm trying to sort of create with that. But uh, longer term, again, we were kind of talking um, beforehand. So this hasn't been announced publicly, but I've been running a... Um, running a business for the last kind of three or four months that we're, uh, that we're going to be announcing hopefully next month, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is uh, data-driven storytelling for, for startups. So we essentially, startups and businesses, so what we do is essentially work out what the right messaging is, what's the right channel, um, what's the right way to kind of engage with people. So that, again, comes from, like, the problem that I've seen is... Uh, when it comes to startups specifically, people spend a lot of time, energy, and resources in trying to get their product to be completely right mm-hmm. before they put something out there to the world. The problem is that after all of the money and time that you've kind of spent, there's no one that actually cares about the business. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the question like Didier Elzinger, who's the CEO of CultureAmp, one Big of my favourite. Oh. I'm like one of my favourite companies. Didier yeah. is one of my fa- like favourite founders. 
his line uh, is, the question isn't, can you build it, but will anyone care? Yeah. And that's essentially the whole thesis of uh, what it is that we're creating at the moment is like, how do you get people to care about businesses? If there's a true value proposition there, it's like, you know, who, who's this for? What's the right sort of message? What's the right channel? What's the right value proposition? What's the right way to kind of ensure that um, you're engaging with people, not just again to convert, but then to make them, um, to help them go on to refer your business. So mm-hmm. no growth marketing strategy mm-hmm. will be as powerful as people going on to refer you to other people. Yeah. Um, and so it's just about how do you kind of streamline that, that process. So, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's like a really big kind of focus for me. Um, it's just going back to all of the things that I really enjoy, which is working with with businesses, working on multiple different projects, but also kind of going back to what's my strength. Um, you know, again, there's 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 been no shortage of opportunities of things that I uh, that I could have kind of looked at, but um, a lot of this has been a lot of kind of starting this this thing that we're calling Playbook Media has been um, you know what what am I in a unique position to offer value to people. Um, what's, what does that kind of look like and what's the form and what's the structure and what do people struggle with mm. and how do you sort of marry the two of them together? And so, um, you know, even with Stage Label, I was the only non-tech founder <laughs> in the team. So anything that involved dealing with our 150-plus designers, which was like pricing, marketing, um, you know, all of the, the kind of strategy and, and implementation that kind of went with that, I looked after. Me, I meet with 500-plus startups every year. Mm. Uh, and so you just start seeing a lot of different trends and you start seeing a lot of different things. Um, and so that unique kind of insight just, you know, has meant that we can kind of apply those sort of principles to the businesses that we sort of work with in a really effective way. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been exciting. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, the thing is I love is, uh, you know, as we've kind of unraveled your story and obviously talked about it together, it's sort of, I think it's just a kind of a beautiful culmination of kind of everything that's happened up until this point kind of thing. So obviously not identifying with an entrepreneur, but having the sort of entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, doing a bit of the corporate, but having that hunger and that thirst and that real passion, driving it towards um, um, stage label, sorry, <laughs> towards stage label, and obviously everything that comes out of it with the podcast and yourself as well too. So, and I think a really cool theme that I love too is, um, I can't remember talks about it, but what's your they ask the question, what's your unfair advantage? And trying to find, what is your unfair advantage? What do you do really, really well? What's sort of that thing, right? That skill or that trade or whatever it is. And make that... Make that your focus. Make that your your driving focus on whatever you do. Yeah. And obviously continuing to hone and refine that. And I think there was a podcast a while back I was listening to talking about how people who are just ridiculously successful, the Warren Buffetts and the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs for those real real fringe examples and going, you know, they're not necessarily any smarter or any more, you know, any 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 particular thing versus us, but they have their unfair advantage, and mm. beyond that, they just mercilessly drive towards that unfair advantage and focus and hone that, and get rid of all the noise, get rid of everything else, but just keep focusing on that. And I think that's exactly what you're at the point you're. You found that unfair advantage now, and you're just continuing just to drive it and refine it. And yeah, it, it's yeah, it's just kind of going back to being kind of a little bit self aware and like really understanding what are you what are you really good at, and then doubling down on that. But then also realizing that with that that there's a bunch of weaknesses mm-hmm. and how do you plug those gaps as well so you know building a business around what is my core skill of what's my competitive advantage and then doubling down on that but then when i'm hiring people it's like how do mm-hmm. i hire people that overcome my weaknesses yeah. 
Um, and kind of, yeah, again, a, a big part of that is like not just hiring people that are like you. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. about hiring, you know, I, I intentionally guide and hire people that are kind of the opposite of me uh, at the moment, which means that we have that great balance. Um, and that also kind of frees me to do the things that offer the most value to the business mm -hmm. and let other people do things that they're much better at than, than me executing on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. I think on that, we're going to transition to the rapid fire questions. Are you uh, ready to go? I'm ready to go. Excellent. So the first one, uh, or sorry, I should say with these questions, obviously there's, there's no right or wrong answer. Take as much time as you need. And if you want to pass cool. and come back to it, no cool. dramas at all. So the first question here is uh, what book has most changed your life? And I'd love if you could place us as to where you read it and what context did it change everything? Sure. Um, so I've had like three things that I would kind of... Um, three books that I would say have like really kind of shaped my thinking mm -hmm. and a business has been attempted to, to kind of come off the back of that. So one is, uh, the first one was Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. So good. Such a good book. So, his podcast too. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, the whole kind of concept of like, so me growing up, uh, wanting to play cricket professionally, um, the, the, the first business that I kind of launched was, you know, knowing that kids develop at different different speeds mm -hmm. and talent identification starts at like 12, 13 years of age. You know, the kids that are, that are doing better are usually the ones that have been more, um, have physically just developed mm -hmm. a lot quicker, but they get access to better coaches, the right nutrition information, things like that. Mm -hmm. And other kids miss out. So the question for me was like, how do you then provide those same, same, you know, level of detail or, or the, you know, that same sort of structure for kids that that miss out. And so Malcolm Gladwell's book kind of talked about how kids that are born in August, for example, mm -hmm. just because they have that few extra months generally perform better than kids that are born at, at different stages of the year. And so, yeah, it, that kind of like shaped my initial kind of thinking around what was called Kara Sport. The next one, which I've kind of touched on, was The Lean Startup by Eric Rice. Um, definitely worth reading if you're kind of talking, you know, if you're thinking about starting a startup, that's kind of like the go-to gospel for yeah. the space. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're not a fan of reading, essentially boils down to uh, kind of test, validate, uh, test and validate things and build things that people want rather than making assumptions mm -hmm. is kind of what I, uh, what I think is, is the main thing out of that. Um, the next one, I was actually really fortunate to interview Al Ramadan, uh, who wrote a book called Play Bigger, uh, which, is, um, which is a book all about sort of category design, which is this new thing, that mm -hmm. a new sort of process that they've come out with. And it's just kind of looking at the biggest companies um, go out and create their own categories. And by doing so, they essentially take up 80% of the, the market mm -hmm. um, because they've created something from scratch. And then people assume that that one company is the right company to, yeah. to solve that problem. And so that's kind of shaped a lot of my thinking around how do I, you know, the whole Sun Cynic start with why, mm -hmm. like, you know, the storytelling piece, like how do you how do you effectively send out the message to people so that they kind of resonate with what it is that you're doing? Mm -hmm but also is a unique sort of value proposition, which is why, you know, with, with Playbook Media, it's like we're a data-driven storytelling company because we're combining the creative of, like, marketing and strategy with, like, the actual data and analytics of, like, are we on the right path and mm. what's the right sort of message to do that. So, um, yeah, I'd say, like, those three books have been really kind of my, my main three. There's, there's obviously other fantastic books out there, specifically in the business space, but... I would highly recommend those three. Yeah, fantastic. Um, who's been the greatest influence on your life growing up? And it could be somebody you didn't know or some other prominent figure. Um, I mean, I feel like I've, I've talked about them through the, most of the podcast, but like my parents have obviously been a really big one for me. Um, again, like they've just been for 
for like Indian parents where, you know, there's usually culturally a set process that mm. you kind of go around, um, for them to kind of be willing to break down those barriers for themselves, you know, in terms of like coming to Australia, but then also create those same opportunities for my sister and I to pursue what we, what we want to do, mm. um, has just been amazing. And again, like without that kind of level of support, it becomes very difficult to, to achieve anything. So that they've been like a really big sort of inspiration for me, um, in very different ways as well. Uh, but you know, aside from that, like I've just been really fortunate to have a lot of mentors that, um, again, I kind of touched on this, have just sat down and, and made the time for me. So, um, you know, like, and again, from a mentor relationship, everyone kind of approaches people with like, Dustin, will you be my mentor? Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the best mentor relationships are literally people that you can call on at any time with any problem mm-hmm. and they will be there for you. Um, and you know, it's, it's never just one person. It's, it's a combination yeah, of, of a lot of different people, which is why I'm not mentioning anyone specifically, but I think most people know who they are. Um, that's been a really kind of big sort of aspect of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that there's been anyone that I've like specifically sort of looked, looked up to. I think most recently, um, someone that like most of my, most of the people that inspire me, I think are people that I get to see, feel in touch and like look at them directly, mm-hmm. kind of see what they're, what they're creating. I think one of the people that I haven't, um, that I kind of look at that from as far as an ins- inspiration point of view is um, Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm, Gary V. Gary yeah. V. Uh, really big fan. My girlfriend's super sick of him because I've just got his stuff <laughs> playing in the background most of the time. But yeah. um, again, for me personally, like it's, it's been really difficult for me to explain why I spend so much time meeting with people and taking the time to kind of do that without having any any sort of direct outcomes yeah. and so that comes from a business perspective that comes from like a, I'm just so tired and like there's all this work that I need to do but I've got like three meetings that are back to back with people that just want to say hello mm. um and without having like uh, I think it's the biggest thing like Gary is just phenomenal in a lot of different ways I think the main thing for me is like I've just found someone who is a much more successful version of like of what I want to what I want to be like and so like it's just been great to kind of see from afar someone who has made that process um really work for himself um and so that that's been super inspiring Absolutely. I think, it's, I think it's important that everybody has that as they look ahead. I know I've got a bit of, you know, Simon Sennett's probably my, where I look at him and go, okay, you know, that's, it's good to have somebody who's, you know, at that level, that successful kind of going, okay, it helps, helps me at least with Simon Sennett go, I, I trust in what I'm doing every day. Yep. Sometimes I might lose a bit of faith every once in a while in those moments, but yep. then having to be able to look at somebody up there and say, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm on the right path. I'm yeah. A hundred percent. Like I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's just like how you deal with the day-to-day sort of stuff because there are days when I'm like, why am yeah. I doing this podcast? <laughs> yeah. Like, why does anyone listen? You know, um, like all of that stuff. Is it worth me continuing? Like, should I just stop? And like the same thing with the business. There are days where it's like, you know, you feel top of the world. You've just got, got a new client. And then there are other days where it's just like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I, I think, I think it's really important to have, uh, to have, you know, those sort of successful figures. But, um, again, like, you know, I think you, you don't necessarily need to just have that, even if you have other people that are potentially at the same stage or just a little bit ahead of you, mm-hmm. I think you get so much out of that because they're going through the same thing and it's a lot more relatable and just kind of having that support system. So, um, yeah, I think from a, from an inspiration standpoint, I think it's very difficult to do anything unless if you're passionate. So that needs to be kind of like a baseline, 
but to help you get through the day-to-day, I think you need like a, a good sort of support system of um, other founders or people you look up to or, or whatever to kind of do that. Absolutely. And I think, I think and I you know, publicly thank you for obviously being a big catalyst in starting the podcast, but I know probably the biggest piece of advice that really stuck out to me um, that you gave me early on, and I'll paraphrase slightly, but it was essentially that learn to love the process, L- learn to really enjoy it because there's a lot of people out there doing it who are doing it for extrinsic reasons Mm. and then all of a sudden you get six or ten in and you're not really getting the traction and you're not really doing it you're you're not really you're not hitting those extrinsic motivators so you're going to give up yeah so you said you know learn to love it learn to really find that yeah so like i mean just for context for people that are kind of listening um wherever you are (laughs) um (laughs) uh you know like you were one of about 20, 20, 25 people that kind of reached out saying, hey, I want to start a podcast. Um, can I have a chat? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm mm-hmm. happy to do it. I think we did it over the phone yeah. because we, we couldn't meet in person. But um, but you're probably one of only two people out of those that have actually gone on to launch <laughs> something. Um, you know, and, and again, like I, I think the reason why I kind of spoke about that was, um, you know, from externally from looking at like my podcast, uh, again, as a specific example, um, you know, it seems very glamorous that, you know, you have like VCs and stuff Mm. like that on the show and it seems to be doing well in terms of like downloads and stuff like that. And so people want to jump to that endpoint and Mm. say like, you know, I want to get to that stage. But if, if again, like your intent is to kind of, is to do that, um, you give up really, really quickly because you just don't see the returns for the longest time. So, like, if I if I wanted to start the podcast because I thought it was cool to start a podcast, I would have given up, like, six weeks in because mm. I would have been like, <laughs> okay, we've, we've had, like, some level of success, but, yeah. you know, like, like is this, is this really worth it? Am yeah. I getting the ROI yeah. on this that I, that I kind of want? But, um, like, all of this stuff, especially when it comes to, like, content, uh, content marketing or doing anything that you kind of really enjoy, um, it's compounding interest. And stuff kind of builds up over time. It wasn't until eight and a half months into the show that I actually got any sort of tangible outcome from it. And that was um, one of the clients that we have at the moment. So because we haven't publicly marketed what we do, it's not on my LinkedIn or it's Mm -hmm. not on anywhere else. Everything's kind of come through word of mouth or people reaching out directly. And so I got a message on LinkedIn saying, hey, I want to talk to you about a startup. What's your mobile number? Wow. And I was like, okay, like that's kind of weird, but like, happy to happy to have a chat and so he's um you know we spoke over the phone and he said uh you know my my fiance and I are um about to launch a startup we've you know we've been uh talking to a few marketing agencies we're not really happy with any of them I have no idea what you do but I've been (laughs) but I've been listening to your podcast for for a few months and you know I just wanted to see if there was a way for us to work together Mm. and like funnily enough this is kind of what we're what we're kind of doing and you know let's let's have a talk and he's they're one of our clients at the moment but you know, if I had started with the intention of like, I want to start this so that I can potentially start an agency mm. down the line that this will help me get clients, I would have given up, you know, yeah. a lot, lot earlier. So I think intent when it comes to these sort of things really, really matters. And so if you don't enjoy the process, you just won't be around long enough to see the upside yeah. of these things. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, 100%, 100%. I couldn't, uh, that resonates with me <laughs> deeply, very deeply, very deeply. And again, I really appreciate giving that advice and taking that, taking that 20 minute phone call, however many months ago. So thank you for that again. Yeah. Um, so the next question is, is, um, what gives you, what gives you a disproportionate return on investment of your time and energy? Uh, giving value to people. Yeah. Um, it's, as I said, like, you know, it's just, it's just a really, really good feeling. 
which pays itself back uh, already. But um, the the return on all of that stuff, um, directly or indirectly, is is just huge. Um, and so again, like everything that I kind of try and do. So you know, when we um, again, when we were kind of speaking before this, we we turned away two clients. So. Um, I can't think of many people that have just started a business that turn away clients um, that are paying them already to to do things. But um, a big part of that for me was, you know, I want our business to provide the most value for people that interact with us in any way. So whether they're clients, whether we just have a meeting with them, whether they come across us, they, they to me need to leave with a really positive experience. And so, yes, we can take their money, but if we're not the right people to... Uh, to execute on their business or if we just don't enjoy working with them and mm. so that means that we won't be as committed to their business um, you know it's just not going to be a great fit longer term and so you know you might have 20 people that that you know speak really well of you but if there's one person that is really loud yeah. and with you know saying that I had a really terrible experience working with this business they didn't give me the outcomes that I wanted and all of those mm. things everything else doesn't matter yeah uh, and so that that to me is like the whole kind of idea of value isn't just, um, you know, from a financial standpoint or just from like a specific group of people, that's with everyone that you interact and engage with. Mm. And so um, I feel like you do that enough times and especially in a small place like Melbourne, in a small ecosystem like the startup community, like word just spreads mm. and, and like you just get, you know, it's, yeah, just the, the, the disproportionate um, return that you get on that is just massive. And I just wish that more people saw uh, what things are like on the other side when you do that for, for long enough. Absolutely. I'm curious as well, too, maybe not so much in a business context, but maybe up into the business, how how did you measure if you were giving value? Were you looking, not looking, but were you, yeah, what would, yeah, what barometer did you use to sort of see if you were able to actually deliver value in that, in that context? Um, there's no there's no barometer. Like I think uh, I think a lot of it is just like you know literally just uh, listening to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting out of the way and not uh, you know giving people an opportunity to speak and, and tell them you know what are they really kind of struggling with. And so if that was something that I could directly point them like you know give them an introduction or help them out with on the spot or whatever like I would do that. Or if I'm not the right person, putting them in touch with someone that is in a better position to do that for them. Um, you know, again, I think there's, there's, you know, everyone's got needs of things. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, what's the best way of kind of meeting their needs without expecting anything? So, like, most of the time people, like, when I have a coffee and they want an introduction or they want whatever, they're like, okay, how much do I owe you? I'm like, <laughs> you, you, can, yeah. you can shout, I'll let you shout me the coffee, but yeah. that's, that's pretty much it, you know, and people Four get really, people get really weirded out by that. It's, um, you know, it's, it's like, if I don't have to do any work and I'm just kind of sitting there and giving you advice and sending a few emails, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that to me is, isn't work and I'm more than happy to, to kind of do that and that's not something that I feel like anyone should, should pay for. Um, but uh, that also means that, like, I don't give introductions to everyone. Mm-hmm. So part of being that kind of connector is that you want to connect dots where both sides get value. Mm-hmm. It's not just one side. So if I'm connecting you onto an investor, it's because... Um, you know, I don't want, just want you to get investment, but I think this is potentially a good investment opportunity for that investor. Mm. So they're going to make money out of that. Mm-hmm. And so like my value with the investor goes up mm-hmm. as well. So, um, 
I think the only tough part with that is like when people expect an introduction yes. yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, that gets really difficult. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to kind of help out people for the most part, but like I need to believe enough yeah. in you and that know that there's enough of a value exchange on both sides for me to sort of make that connection. Yeah, absolutely. Back to the sort of implied contract. Somebody's kind of signing you into an implied contract where you're kind of going, oh, hang on a sec. It doesn't, yeah. I don't I don't work like that. This is kind of how it's going to work on my terms kind of thing, right? But back yeah. to that, just drive value. That's it kind of thing, right? Yeah. Excellent. Um, what mantra or inspirational quote has most changed your life and why? And also love if you, if you remember, where did you first hear it? Um, yeah, I was... I don't know if there's been a specific quote. Um, I, th- I think there's like there's so many of them on like Instagram and stuff <laughs> that you can come across. Endless. Yeah, endless. Um, you know, like I think um, I think one of the the ones that I've kind of really liked and resonated with are like the Michael Jordan ones of like you know taking like he said that uh, I can't remember specifically what the quote is, but something about him being able to to take the winning shots because he's he's missed a thousand uh, yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, I've completely butchered the quote, but I, I think like that whole, um, that whole kind of viewpoint is again, the same way that I kind of look at things is, uh, you know, I, I know that the first version of whatever I do isn't perfect, but um, you know, you need to do that enough to get good enough at doing something. You won't get that from like, you can't just read the manual on how to, how to shoot uh shoot balls into a, into a basket mm-hmm. or kind of watch enough videos and then expect to go out there and, and perform straight away. Um, that comes from like, you know, you actually going out and doing that, doing the work to, to become an expert uh, at, at doing that. So um, I think that was something that kind of really resonated with me. And also the, the fact that like, you know, even someone like Michael Jordan fails. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that's again, often overlooked, especially when you look at like, you know, the, uh, the press that goes behind startups that are, you know, the overnight successes, Absolutely. things that have, you know, that have worked, um, you know, companies that are worth a billion dollars and like all of those sort of things. What often gets overlooked is what happened before that. And so part of what you're kind of doing with the podcast is like, you know, going back into, into that sort of earlier stage as well and going, you know, what was the process before things potentially worked or, you know, what were the lessons that kind of came out from that? And I think that's a really, really important step. I think, um, you know, especially... Um, in the industry that I'm kind of focused in, which is the tech startup space, it's become such a hot topic and a hot area where people think that, um, you know, I'm starting to see a lot of people that come in and think that they can just launch an app and be worth yeah. millions of dollars. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, uh, again, like that, um, it's just kind of setting people up for failure. And again, it's coming back to like the self-awareness aspect. Like, um, you know, I have to, I, I feel like I have to take a leadership position. So I have to found something. That's just the way, the only way that I can be committed enough into something to get things up. But mm-hmm. as we were kind of, again, talking about before we turned on uh, the podcast earlier is some people are just really good operators, yeah. right? And so they just need to find the right sort of thing. But if they then tried to start a, start a startup, they wouldn't have anywhere near the level of success that, that they would joining a team at, a, at an earlier stage or even joining kind of a scale stage company or or even being within a corporate environment. So I think a lot, a lot of it just comes to um, understanding yourself a lot better and understanding your strengths and then playing to that. Forget all the external noise, forget whether you've heard that people have made it successful, you know, doing other things. 
work out what you're really good at and double down on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and back to, I know for myself as well too, back to that quote, back to what we discussed too. If you, if you love what you're doing and you love the process as well too, it'll help get you through that. Yeah. And even if you, I know for myself and starting this podcast, one of my things has been that even if I come out a complete failure, even if by no external, all external measures, nobody listens to it, it doesn't go anywhere. If I can come out of it and I can have something with it as well too, sort of I think similar to your story, you can then take those skills and, and transition to something else. You've grown, even even not even from a technical point of view, but you've just grown in self-awareness. Yep. Like we were talking about before I started the podcast too. Like what I thought the challenges were aren't really the challenges that actually I'm facing today kind of thing, right? But it's only until I actually got in it and went, oh, that's the problem. That's the area I'm struggling with a little bit. Okay, now I know where to kind of go. But I wouldn't have known that before. And there's nothing I could have done probably to really prepare yeah. until I actually took the shot. Yeah, 100%. And like I, I think that people... Um, so again, like I'll give a very specific example with, with my podcast. Um, I think people want to launch with something that is perfect because they, they feel that they don't want to show any sort of weakness when yeah. they kind of, I assume, any sort of weakness when they sort of put out anything publicly. Um, if anyone's listened to my podcast, especially like I went back to my early episodes and they were horrendous. <laughs> Right. And like, you know, I, I was on uh, Drew Corby's podcast recently. He has the most amazing and legit equipment that I've, I've ever seen in my life for, for a podcast show. Yeah. Um, and I have this like shitty little like tripod mic that I, <laughs> that I carry around with me. Um, but my, my whole kind of thinking with the podcast was, you know, I can, I can always improve the audio quality, yeah. right? I can get better at editing. I can potentially pay someone to kind of do this as well. What I can't improve on um, or the reason why people will share this is if the content is good enough. And no amount of like me getting the right equipment is yeah. going to fix that. So uh, what I wanted to focus on was like, can I get this up really quickly? So it took me, I don't know if you know this, it took me three weeks from the time that I decided to do a podcast to launching my first six episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, wow. And then three days after that, I got to number three on iTunes yeah. and, and stuff like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, uh, again, from my perspective, it was like I wasn't expecting anyone to listen. Mm-hmm. I literally just wanted to do it for myself and I wanted to learn a new skill and I wanted to get better at interviewing and, and, you know, again, just there were so many different things that I kind of wanted to do. I just wanted to get something out there and I was like, is anyone going to engage? Is this the right format? Whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it took off. And so, like, even now I still use the same equipment. I should probably upgrade. <laughs> but, 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 uh, but, you know, like, it's, it's just, it's, again, part of that process. Like, People want things to be perfect. Like, it's never going to be yeah. perfect. It is never, never going to be perfect. It's never going to be the perfect time to leave your job. Things are always going to get harder. There mm-hmm. are going to be more commitments that you've got. There's always going to be a pay rise, which makes it even harder and, mm-hmm. and things like that to kind of leave. If that's something that you want to do, like, at some stage, if it's important enough to you and if it's the right move for you, you need to take the plunge. Yeah. Um, and no one else can do that for you except for yourself. But, um, yeah, never let perfection kind of hold you back from... From doing things. Yeah, excellent. Um, and our last question. Tell me about your morning routine. Morning routine. So I'm not really one for routines generally. <laughs> um, no, I, I generally try and um, try and go into the gym in the morning if I can, um, mainly because I usually work till pretty late. Mm. Um, so it's, it's just hard. Like I'm too wrecked after, after work to kind of do that. So I generally try and um, like literally my routine would just be like I try and get up go to the gym, come back, eat something, and then go into work for the day. And off you go. And off I go. Um, yeah, I just find that, like, again, and this is for me personally, like, structured. Like, I'm just a completely unstructured person, and that's just the way that I operate best. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I like, I need that flexibility. I need kind of, like, if I had a set routine of things that I did every single day, I would, like, literally want to shoot myself. <laughs> so, um, so that's, again, like, a, a big part of, like, knowing yourself as well. It's, like, what's the best way for you to operate? And so, um, you know, there are certain, like, negotiables. So, like, the time that I t turn up to work, I'm, I'm flexible with that. So mm -hmm. some days I will come in early. Some days I come in at, like, 10, 10.30. Um, if, uh, and I kind of have the same expectation with the staff that we kind of work have in as well. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the staff that we have are like very, very different to me. And so mm -hmm. they're starting like nine o'clock on the dot for the most part. But, um, you know, again, it's, it's just kind of creating that culture where uh, everyone just performs the best. And so being open, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about having like open workspaces mm -hmm. and like, you know, how do you create innovation within, within uh, corporates or, or within sort of, your own job place. And I think a lot of that just starts from, like, A, has got to start from the leaders. So, mm -hmm. like, you have to create an, create an environment where it's okay. You, it's up to you then to make sure that you've got the right people to execute on, on the business, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if things aren't effective or if people are, are slacking or whatever, like, understand that that's on you for hiring the wrong people. Yeah. Um, that's everything not, starts with the leader. Everything, yeah. you know, like, a business relies on, like, the people that are kind of making the, the decisions. Like, and then the next part of that is like creating an environment where it allows people to be successful in their own way. So forcing myself to come in at 9 a.m. Uh, or 8.30 or whatever it is every single day, like could look great on paper, but like I know mm. that I, I just won't then be as effective or efficient later in the day when I have like certain clients that, that mm -hmm. are coming in. So it's, it's just that balance um, and just kind of understanding that. But yeah, in terms of process, like I'm, I'm really sort of laid back. So probably not the right person for the morning routine. All right. Excellent. <laughs> Early, I really appreciate your time. I think you've been incredibly generous through both everything helping me before the podcast and this as well too. Um, just for everybody listening, um, where can they keep up to date with what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so uh, you can find me on Twitter. Generally, is like usually the best way to to say hello. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Rohit Pargava Seven. Um, how do you spell? How do you spell that? Uh, so R O H I T B H A R G A V A Seven. Um, otherwise, f feel free to email me, um, rohit at startupplaybook.co. Um, yeah, always more than happy to have a chat. So I've got a rule that if anyone asks me for a coffee, I have to say yes <laughs> at least once or at least jump on the phone yeah. with them. Um, so, yeah, if anyone wants to kind of have a chat and, um, yeah, just chat about life <laughs> just generally or, or whatever, like more than happy to do that. Uh, you can find the podcast on uh, startupplaybook.co. It's also on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. Um, but yeah, hope you enjoy it. And um, once again, mate, congratulations on, on launching your podcast. I think it's, it's really, really exciting. And um, yeah, looking forward to see where, where you head. Likewise. I'm sure, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll be sitting back a year from now having a round two. And after I've done, after I've done my 50 episodes yeah. and you're hitting, ticking over around 100, and I won't have to look back at this and go, oh, what did I ask that question <laughs> there? Why did I, oh, I should have waited or anything like that. So, mate, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Hi everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode. If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two, and you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. 
Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes. And I look forward to having you join me again for our next YTV podcast.